In this episode of The Dr. E Show, our guest brings us on a fascinating journey exploring our health from the perspectives of bioterrain medicine and waveform physics. Please note that this is for educational and entertainment purposes only, and it is not meant to diagnose, treat, or advise on any medical conditions. So please consult with your doctor about any medical concerns, and as always, safety first. And that's where bioterrain medicine comes in. You're not treating a disease. You're not making war on a microbe. You're treating the body and understanding that microbes play a very important role in helping the body heal itself. And they do in so many ways. I'm a farmer these days and I do a lot in soil science and it's no different outside. I take soil samples and the first thing I look at are number one, the electrical vectors in the soil rather than just saying, oh, I've got to dump more of this mineral or, or some kind of fertilizer. You're always looking at the what we call the line of resistance so that you can then use chemistry to create changes in the electrical vectors that will then allow the plant and the soil to be compatible and then they thrive with each other. And the microbes are a key, key part that we pay attention to because without those in their proper proportions and populations, then there's nothing that's going to be available for plant rootlets and, and things that we're concerned about as farmers. It's the same thing when you're working with the body. You need to look at the soil of the body. And the fear we can get into other levels of how our body works and outpictures every thought and emotion we have. And, and that's the most dangerous thing that we have to overcome. And it's fear based on ignorance and ignorance is the real contagion. Hello, this is Dr. Edith Ubuntu-Chan. Welcome to The Dr. E Show, a show exploring the frontiers of our human possibilities in areas like health and wellness, science and spirituality, quantum biology, and conscious living, so that together we can awaken the best of ourselves and create our most joyful and fulfilling lives. As a listener of this show, you're an outside-the-box thinker. You're aware that there's far more to our reality than we've been told. You're aware that so many of humanity's greatest problems come from our limited way of thinking. That in many ways, we've all been indoctrinated into a system that doesn't always serve our highest good. You're aware that maybe there's certain forces at work behind the mainstream media that reaps their profits from keeping people living in fear, stress, and panic. The recent world events has jolted us awake though. We're all asking fundamental questions that I hope will give birth to fresh new ways of thinking, new systems, and new ways of being as a society. Right now, so many of us are asking fundamental questions like, how does our immune system work? What causes disease? What creates health? To explore all these amazing goodies, we have a very special treat for you today. Dr. Bear Lando is going to give us a history of germ theory versus terrain theory and to take a look at our current events from a fresh new perspective based on his longtime experience as a practitioner of bioterrain medicine. Like so many of our guests on the Dr. E Show, 
Dr. Lando is gifted in many, many disciplines, and yet he's so humble. So let me just read his bio for you. Dr. Bear Paul Lando has traveled a fascinating and eclectic path through athletics and academics into becoming a physician, a kinesiologist, a functional movement specialist, and a master gardener. As an undergrad, he was both pre-law and pre-med and maintained a 4.0 GPA in his studies, plus he was a Division I football player. He later taught at the university level after completing his graduate degree in social psychology. Dr. Lando obtained his MICP certification at Stanford Medical School, then served several years as a paramedic firefighter. Next came his studies in Oriental Medicine, Classical Homeopathy, and Naturopathy at Pacific College of Naturopathic Medicine, followed by then Chiropractic College, where he graduated summa cum laude. He's also a chartered diplomat in kinesiology from Body Integration International, and has completed numerous postdoctoral trainings and certifications in holistic approaches to medicine, like bioterrain medicine, Japanese meridian therapy, craniopathy, visceral manipulation, functional movement specialist, endobiogenics, and German new medicine. Dr. Lando began his private clinical practice back in 1981 and has developed an international following of people suffering from chronic degenerative conditions. In recent years, he earned his certification as Master Gardener and in permaculture, and he oversees his off-grid medicinal herb farm. And today, Dr. Lando is retired from clinical practice, but he stays very active, creating formulations for his herbal company and developing medical protocols based on waveform physics. Do you love this guy so much? So please, everybody, help me in welcoming the amazing human being. I feel like we're long lost soul family. I feel so grateful to know this man, the founder of Alphathetic, the one, the only, Dr. Bear Lando. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to say about all that. <laughs> so great to see you again, Edith. Uh, I had a lot of fun talking to you last time with Matt. And uh, thank you so much for having me here today. I always tell people that, uh, you know, all the pieces of paper that we chase all our lives thinking that we're going to learn something. And, and you know, that I guess you learn a little bit from it, but I, I believe I learned more in surfing than anything else. And, uh, you know, just uh, being a grandfather and uh, those are the important things in life and uh, all those other things, uh, you know, you can't learn what you need out of books all the time. So, but thank you for that. I appreciate it. Matt Beller, if you're watching, thank you so much for connecting us. I was just chatting with Dr. Lando offline before that this is such an amazing gift because I feel like we're kindred spirits. I have so much resonance with your approach to health and well-being and to life in general, but you have at least two decades, maybe 25 more years of clinical experience than me. So I feel like this is like a time travel opportunity to speak with myself 25 years from now like what what would i want to know you know i have so many things i'd love to learn from you so for our audience could you please share with us how you came into this journey of studying bioterrain medicine and deviating from the germ theory of things could we start there yeah you know it all started in sports because i was uh you know uh 
competed at a pretty high level in, in different things, martial art competitions and football and powerlifting. And, and uh, I was always looking into nutrition and, you know, other things to give me the edge. And uh, so, and I, you know, just naturally, I was inclined to want to know more about the body. So I went into pre-med and, and, you know, led one thing to another. And, um, you know, after I spent a little time in emergency medicine, I decided uh, that I had what I needed and wanted to move on. That's why I elected uh, to go into naturopathy and then chiropractic. And, and I was in a group of um, kinesiologists back in, uh, oh God, in the 70s, uh, where we pioneered clinical and applied kinesiology. I was with the founders of that. And uh, there was a group of doctors in uh, Germany, medical doctors that came over to study with us because they knew we were making inroads into uh, neurology in a whole different way and we could legitimize it. So uh, we taught them what we were doing and then they in turn exposed us to uh, uh, traditional biological medicine that started in France with Bouchamp and then moved into Germany with uh, Gunther Enderlein. So uh, you know, we ended up learning from them, and then I went into the uh, classical German biological medicine, learned how to use a dark field microscope. Uh, it was a much different approach than dark field can be used, you know, in a lot of different ways, and it is used by different types of practitioners. Uh, but the classical German approach is real hardcore as far as understanding the whole psychogeny of how organisms work in our body. And I was fascinated with it because for the first time I could actually see in the body and see these things swimming around. And, uh, you know, what I learned in regular conventional studies, uh, you know, I found firsthand really isn't the way things work. And so since then, for the last, you know, I spent a good 40 years of seeing thousands of people's blood under the slide and and seeing a lot of these things we can talk about today with my own eyes so it's not conjecture it's not uh you know there's a lot of academics behind it as far as understanding you know in your basic training but it's more of a functional approach uh you know in regular studies we're we're memorizing and repeating terminologies and you know to designate different classifications of organisms and viruses and things uh, with this, you're actually seeing things with your own eyes, and you're actually seeing uh, microbes change from one form to another, and then you can correlate that in your clinical experience with what the patient is actually going through with what they've been diagnosed with, and then you can apply practical strategies, and then you see, you know, as you manage the terrain, starting with the microbes especially, you actually see their condition change. So I have a very different belief system not based on something I read, you know, or, or just memorized, but something, you know, you, that you can see. And dark field microscopy allows you to see organisms alive. And then, and, and, you know, my original training in histology and, and, you know, beginning medical studies, of course, you're using microscopes where you're staining the slides, which means, you know, it's good. It brings out certain things that you're trying to study and makes them more prominent so you can see them. But everything's dead. You know, it'd be like, uh, say you drop down from another planet and you want to know what a dog is like on planet Earth. So you go scrape an old poor specimen off the road somewhere that got flattened about six months ago. That's what we're doing in, you know, conventional medicine where, you know, in dark field, you know, you're actually, uh, you know, befriending a dog and petting it and seeing it up close and you can interact with it. You can communicate 
you know, with it in different ways. And you really get to see what these creatures are firsthand. Wow. You know, I've been binge watching your YouTube channel and learning <laughs> so much. One thing that really hits home as I watch it is that those of us that went through some amount of medical training, there's so much memorization, regurgitation, and it comes at you at such a fast pace. There's no time to question anything. You just got to memorize, regurgitate, memorize, regurgitate, pass your board exams, and then you got all this school loans, so you don't have time to question anything after you get your license because you got to get to work, you know? So our hustle, hustle, hustle pace as a society and definitely in our medical education makes it hard for us to just take pause and question, like, is it actually true what they taught us in school? That's the biggest gift about this current climate is that so many of us are forced to take a pause and ask these questions like, wow, what are these assumptions based on? And what's the history of it? And who wrote the textbook? And are they sure? Where's the proof, you know? Exactly. You know, in school and starting with our uh, pre-med, you know, prerequisites, we're uh, taught one half of the equation. And what it is, is, um, you know, they leave out the, the creative cycle and then just look at the end product. You know, when you get into electrophysics, you learn that uh, the creative forces are electrical vectors. And, and that's a whole discussion as far as where they come from. But then it's like a dual hydraulic pump where one side is taking these uh, informational fields, we'll, we'll call them, and compressing that data into what registers in our senses as vibratory or resonant fields. And, and so that's kind of the after effects of the other half of the cycle that are renewing that moment by moment, those data fields, so that you can have a constant renewal process here on the ground with what we um, you know, experience and what I can only call simulation because it's it's nothing it's important and it's an intense simulation but that is exactly what we're going through and of course that's a pretty deep discussion but going back to medical school we're taught that one half of the equation and what we're really doing is studying the electrical after effects the recording that register in our senses and also the extension of our senses which comes in forms of uh, different instrumentation, EEGs, microscopes, uh, you know, they're still recording those same electrical uh, vibratory after effects, but we never get to go on the other side of things to see where those things come from in the first place. And so what you're looking at, you know, whenever you have these electrical effects that I'm alluding to is a polarize and then go through many nuances to create all the characteristics that we as doctors, you know, see as far as effects in the body and what we think of as disease. But if we're really taught how they are created in the first place, not only we could, could we create practical strategies to help get people better, but our diagnosis would then be inverted so that instead of looking at a myriad of things where we get lost, you know, the, the trees through the forest, we would actually find the solution first. And then from the solution, then you can go down into a proper investigation of understanding why things are the way they are and how you got there. But instead, we're taught in medical school to be schizophrenic where we're looking at all these parts and not understanding that you can actually visualize the whole and actually understand 
that there's no such thing as parts in the first place. And that gets into waveform mechanics and things. But this is hardcore science. And, you know, back in the old days, uh, science was actually, uh, you know, based on chemistry. And chemistry was called alchemy. And we think of alchemy these days as some kind of voodoo uh, sort of thing or, or some mysticism. But in fact, uh, chemistry, as opposed to alchemy, is just one half of the after effects. It's a physicality that, you know, people like Deepak Chopra say the, the superstition of materialism. And so there's a way to look at the whole first and do things in reverse and instead of reverse engineering from minutia that you don't even know how it got there in the first place. And most of the things we diagnose in medical science and especially microbiology, it's all theoretical, it's circumstantial, and it would never hold up in a court of law. It'd be thrown out in two seconds. Okay, let's go, let's go there then. What what is a germ, or maybe specifically, what is a virus? Okay, so I see what I believe to be viruses under the or virus under the microscope uh, all the time, and the theory of a virus, which is external to us, is really flawed. And, and again, you correct me if you have different ideas or or if. Uh, you know, if somebody can prove anything I'm saying is wrong, I want to know the truth. But I believe I'm close to the truth because with the understanding I have just from observation and then applying therapies based on that observation, it seems to work really well in helping people get better and heal their bodies. And that's where bioterrain medicine comes in. You're not treating a disease. You're not making war on a microbe. You're treating the body and understanding that microbes play a very important role in helping the body heal itself. And they do in so many ways. I'm a farmer these days, and I do a lot in soil science, and it's no different outside. I take soil samples, and the first thing I look at are, number one, the electrical vectors in the soil, rather than just saying, oh, I've got to dump more of this mineral or, or some kind of fertilizer. You're always looking at the what we call the line of resistance so that you can then use chemistry to create changes in the electrical vectors that will then allow the plant and the soil to be compatible and then they thrive with each other. And the microbes are a key, key part that we pay attention to because without those in their proper proportions and populations, then there's nothing that's going to be available for plant rootlets and, and things that we're concerned about as farmers. It's the same thing when you're working with the body. You need to look at the soil of the body. So when I see uh, under the microscope cells that have certain characteristics that tell me that there's a toxic ecology, and that that uh, environment, you know, is not capable of producing health, which you can tell very readily with enough experience, you see that the blood cells are actually engorged in a certain way. They have a certain look. And you'll actually uh, very often in those conditions see things giving birth out of red and white blood cells. And, um, you know, there's chemical labs that I do that in, you know, all these years, I always just called them cell debris. But uh, working in the field of stem cell research, and we have a way to do stem cell 
stimulation with botanical substance, which is a fun topic. Um, but when you uh, look at stem cell research these days, they're talking about exosomes and endosomes. And I believe what I used to call cell debris all these years was actually what they're uh, you know, verifying in stem cell research. So you see these under the microscope, these things that come out of the cell, and then you see them differentiating into different forms. And those uh, different forms will start with single proteins, they'll elongate, they'll join forces and, and create different looking shapes until they go through what we call bacterial phases. And, and then right before your eyes, you'll see what you and I learned in school is, you know, maybe streptococci, something like that, you know, rods and, and little round things that we classify as different entities in microbiology. But in fact, they're not different entities at all. They all come from the same seeds. And what people don't realize is, for instance, if, if you have a sore throat and then you go get it cultured tomorrow and they say, oh, you have a strep throat. Well, they found a bacterial phase of, uh, of an organism that lives in a single protein uh, seed form. Uh, you know, in German microbiology, we call it somatids. Uh, I studied with Gaston Naissons, uh, who, you know, verified it with his somatoscope. He called them somatids. Royal Rife called them virus. Uh, but we're all talking about the same thing. But that penicillin notatum, which is one of those seed organisms that all of us have in our body and we couldn't exist without it, then it will differentiate. And you can see it going through these predictable cycles until it gets to the bacterial phase. And then in that bacterial phase, it has a recycling uh, job in the body where it goes to the scene of the crime and, you know, helps, uh, you know, that area of the body or whatever these, wherever these bacteria migrate to and it cleans up the terrain, no different than, uh, you know, flies laying, uh, you know, eggs and, and then they turn into larvae on an old dead animal and clean up the forest floor. Uh, when you learn nature's processes, whether it's in the external ecosystem or in our own bodies, they always follow the same format. And that's why they say, you know, as above, so below. And if you learn you know, one area, then, you know, you know everything. And so you just have to grasp these principles, whether you're a farmer, a doctor, if you can wrap your uh, mind around just one single facet of uh, nature's processes, you, you've, you've got the whole thing and you can apply it to whatever you're doing. Now, we, had, we left out viruses, but I want to let you jump in here. So I'll come up for air and, and then we'll go into whatever you want. Okay, so I think most of our listeners out there listening to this, your mind just got blown into a million pieces. I think we might need to go a little bit slow. Can we go back to the history of germ theory and the idea that germs are contagious from outside in? Okay. Where are the flaws in that thinking first? Can we start like kind of busting some old myths before we go into the new system of thinking? Sure. So, and tell me if I'm answering your question. Okay. There's a whole history of individuals, Bouchamp, Enderline, Rife, some of the ones we've already mentioned that were all instrumental in putting the pieces of the puzzle together so that people like myself, you know, could learn from them and then have our own experience. But let's just take the example of the sore throat. So let's just say that maybe you're breathing things in the atmosphere that are toxic, maybe heavy metals and things that they're aerosoling these days, contaminants from manufacturing and industry, things that are unnatural 
And what we have is a whole system, of course, in the upper respiratory system that screens that, it filters these things. But then, you know, when those toxins and those foreign matter overwhelm those filtering mechanisms, then they can enter into the body. And uh, the body is very clever and it will create little pockets of it, you know, and in this case, very often in the upper respiratory system or in the lungs and the bronchioles, you know, and it has a way of walling these things off in the tissue so that they aren't going systemic and that we can be healthy for as long as possible. And now if in fact, those have accumulated to the point where a body really needs to clean house then those that pleomorphic progression that we're talking about with these little seeds will develop you know through the cycles and go into something we might call streptococcus that migrate to that scene and they're just like scavengers in the outer ecology that will you know eat up and you know give it their all and die themselves in the process in order to help us clean the environment just like flies in 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 the forest there but in the process also they'll secrete enzymes and other cofactors that will raise your temperature it'll make your throat swell and feel lousy and painful and you know if you didn't know any better you'd say you're sick but in fact that's just part of the healing now if you understand how things work and you adjust your lifestyle so that you can clean house regularly then you don't have to have this normal recycling mechanism come along you know with the yearly flu as we call it or cold in order to clean house which brings us in to the next question i would have if i was listening to all this is well okay uh you know explain exactly why people go through flu seasons especially in the in the winter and that sort of thing so we can get into that next but please keep going how are you doing okay so um Let's go to Chinese medicine. Both you and I have a you know, background in that. And I love Chinese medicine. It's been a big part of uh, you know, my practice over the years. And I like it because it's really based in an understanding of you know, taking our external uh, uh, you know, environment and then understanding that our body is a hologram of that and it works exactly the same. So you know, we talk with cultural metaphors from Asia, you know, where they talk about yin and yang and the five elements and, and so forth. Uh, we can actually explain that in waveform physics these days so that the, the left brain of us Westerners, you know, can actually understand that and it gets really logical. But uh, I like the, the cultural metaphors. For instance, when they're talking about the five elements, you know, they link different seasons to those elements. And uh, let's take winter, you know, which is uh, linked with the kidney system and Chinese medicine and also with uh, the emotions of fear. You know, it's that, it's that kind of dark foreboding time of the year. And, you know, as a farmer uh, in the wintertime, my farm looks kind of bleak and dank and all, everything looks dead and everything's uh, composting. All the life that was uh, given birth in the spring and came to maturation in the summer and fall, now it's being composted. It's being, you know, with organisms and everything, it's being returned to the soil so that once again, new life can come next spring. So in our bodies, it's the same thing. Seasons properly understood aren't just weather. It's an energetic shift, which it's a whole different energy, you know, one of the five elements. So in the winter time, 
our bodies are naturally following those cyclic energetic shifts. And it is now getting ready for new life, for rejuvenation. And if in fact that we have accumulated a little baggage on the way, that is going to be the prime time that our body is going to start composting itself. All the waste products, all the, the things that we've done to ourselves, maybe by indiscretions in our lifestyle, or even more noticeably or notably, uh, the way we think and the things we believe, for instance, toxic emotions uh, are worse for you than going out and eating a Big Mac. So uh, wintertime is when we get to recycle all these things. I see somebody in the background there. Hi. How you doing? Dr. Lando. Hi. I remember you from last time. How you doing? Good. Those of you that are Good. listening to the audio, our boy just tromped into the studio with finger quotes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, please keep going. I'll yeah, keep yeah. Going. so wintertime is, is the time where we're normally recycling. And that's where we get uh, those pleomorphic progressions of organisms that live inside of us all the time, including virus, which we can explain those a little bit more detailed, where they come out to do their job to help us clean house. So that's why you'll get people, you know, in great numbers at different times of the year. And, uh, you know, they all come down with the same symptoms. And we're all, as a species, you know, we, we fail to understand that we're an interconnected web of intelligence and also uh, connected with nature. We're not separate. And that's where bioterrain medicine is really great. That's where Chinese medicine is great because we realize it's all holographically expressed, you know, all the way up and down the chain, uh, experiencing the, the same thing, but expressing it on our little level of reality. So that's why people get sick in numbers at certain times of the year. Back when I was a kid, they were having a polio outbreak. And by the way, the vaccines for polio didn't really come in until after it was kind of ran its course. That's a different story. But there were contaminants that we were exposed to as children. So the herds, if you want to just talk about it that way, uh, were exposed to neurotoxins and, and the herds had a great need, you know, because we're all accumulating these things in our bodies. And there was a herd reaction where numbers of people had neurological symptoms as internal mechanisms came into play in order to clean these neurotoxins out. And then, you know, the, the herds recover and make adaptations to these new exposures that are unnatural and the, the uh, you know, people never had to deal with before. Uh, when those adaptations happen, we're never quite as a level robust health as we were prior, but you know, we do adapt until another mass exposure comes that can create the next epidemic or just the yearly flu. So I'm thinking when I was a kid, our parents said, oh, this one kid got chicken pox. Let's expose all of you guys and get it over with. That's what we used to do. Now they have the vaccine for it. The culture when I was a kid was let's get it over with. Let's get it infected across the family and all the cousins so that we have lifelong immunity. Is that faulty thinking too? 
I would say yes, and it gets a little bit more complex, and I'm highly simplifying things, but there's another level of reality to microbes that people don't realize readily is they convey information. And our microbial friends uh, that create these childhood diseases, and the reason why children are predominantly getting these things at a certain phase of life is because these microbes then give us downloads of information that lasts a lifetime that not only support our immunity, but do a lot of things for our neurological development and also our consciousness on a different level. Now we're getting into some things that would stretch people's imaginations a little bit more, but kids are going to be more prone to getting the measles and there, there are contagions, but they're more electromagnetic level contagions that can be conveyed between people and including groups of kids that are having a measles party where you're actually getting informational field on a different level that then provokes a biochemical changes in the terrain that provokes certain organisms to then go through cyclic changes that also produce the physical symptoms then we categorize as a particular illness. Okay, so you're not denying that there is a possibility for contagiousness. Yeah, and there are man-made contagions, you know, things that are engineered. That's a different story. And that's a reality these days, which makes it a little bit more complicated. But microbes, the point I'm trying to make is they are very purposeful. They provide life to us. And without them, we wouldn't be able to go through normal developmental stages. So one of the things that they do as we sort of pass these energy fields around, for lack of a better term, is it uh, provides the opportunity for them to take hold in their body and do what they're designed to do. Okay, so should we or should we not be scared of these contagions? And I guess my question is, under what circumstance do people not then get the download of information and move past it? What causes us to get stuck in that disease state where we can't move through it and gain the benefits? You know, because that's what people are worried about is that, oh, this is deadly. Under what circumstance do we get stuck and it becomes a deadly situation? Well, what's happening now, um, and I'm sure you've noticed the same thing in your practice, but you know, a long time ago when I first started my private clinical work, certain conditions that were rare, things like ALS and these neurological degenerative diseases and, and rare cancers, um, now they're epidemic. So any reasonable forensic medic is going to say, well, what changed in between then and now? In conventional circles, we really don't do that. We're just always trying to find the roots of a disease so that we can make war against a disease. So it's very, it doesn't take a genius to know that food has changed, lifestyles have become sedentary. Um, people are disconnected on a spiritual level. We have rampant use of drugs of all types, especially pharmaceuticals. And these things all contaminate us and require the body to take extraordinary measures and use up internal resources that were 
back in the day normally available in order to run what we call in new German medicine, a biological program to heal us. And what happens is those resources are not available. And so when these normal programs to heal us are activated, which include in large part uh, the activity of microbes that we're talking about, then they get stuck on what I just refer to as a biological plateau. It would be like you're out in a construction company and the lines are down and I'm pouring a foundation and I can't you know, reach somebody to you know, get a truckload of gravel out to the job site. And so, you know, neurologically we're impaired so that communication breaks down and also we don't have the resources. So in bioterrain medicine, if somebody comes in with uh, MS or cancer or, or even the flu, you don't treat a disease. You have ways to inspect what the body needs and why it is on an uncomfortable plateau that in a case of a growth in the body or neurological degeneration could actually become life-threatening. And so there are very specific ways where you can understand and prioritize uh, in a sequential way what you need to do in order to get that environment back to its normal self-maintaining, self-correcting state, which is innate in all of us. And that includes different preparations that were first created by Gunther Enderlein that are the seeds of these microorganism populations in our bodies, not to be confused with probiotics and other types of things that can be very useful as well, but the seeds that then differentiate and do all the things that the body normally does with these biological programs that heal us. And it would really surprise people, but even growths in the body are designed to heal us. And way back when, uh, doing uh, you know cadaver dissection and all these gross things we used to have to do, uh, you know, I'd notice these scars inside body cavities. And an old professor at the time said, uh, "Well, those are tumor scars." And you know, back then he had a whole different training than I had. You know, he was about my age back then and I was in my 20s then. And, uh, you know, it, it, it didn't make sense to me, but he just said, yeah, I don't know. These growths just come and go and people don't die because of them. Usually they just dissolve on their own and leave a little scar. And sometimes when they don't go away, you die with them, not because of them. And so now understanding the role of microbes in the body and how growths actually have a function and the reason why they don't go away and keep growing is because the normal resources and microbial populations that would normally use that to bring in oxygen to the tissue because of the greater cellular mass and all sorts of things even on a level of the psyche then when it fulfills its function the terrain is uh, returned to normal uh, we make sure that it has the right microbes and things that normally would migrate to the scene of the crime right when the uh, the whole event was triggered so that they would digest that growth when it was no longer necessary. That's what used to happen in bodies, but now people with the use of antibiotics and all sorts of other things don't have those normal micro populations and they don't have just 
normal nutritional resources either. So that's what uh, bioterrain medicine is all about. And viruses, I want to keep coming back to that because we haven't fully explained those. Uh, they are an important part of the housekeeping process. Wow. So given all of this, what do you feel about this physical distancing that we're all doing? What do you think the pros and cons of it, these policies that we have right now? Okay, so a uh, great segue into virus. Viruses are dead. They're, you know, they can only get in your body if they're injected in. That's my strong opinion. There are a lot of the world's top virologists and medical doctors that agree with me because we have a different understanding. So if you were to ingest a virus, so-called, because the virus theory itself is flawed, in my opinion, it would be immediately dissolved and, and uh, annihilated by gastric juices. The same thing, it wouldn't make it through all the barriers of the upper respiratory system. So really, if you want to get a virus, so-called, into the body, you'd have to conjugate it with a living cell, and then you'd have to inject it into the body. I don't know any other way. I know there are labs creating things, and I won't call them anything in particular. I just know that's going on for a fact. Yeah. Uh, so there are things I'm sure I don't know that maybe some of these concoctions have a way of being transmitted in other ways, but I still can't see how they could get into the body unless they were injected. And you can use your imagination how that might happen. So viruses, the way they are really created is within our own cells. And uh, stop me if, if, if we're getting too technical, but we'll, we'll keep it as brief as possible. So you have a cell membrane, which is a lipid. It's fat, right? So the outer membrane will invaginate. And I learned this through stem cell work. And then as it invaginates, it creates like a little vesicle and, you know, like a, a cell debris of sorts. And we'll call that uh, an endosome. And then inside the cell, there will be an interaction where the RNA from the cell goes into these vesicles. And then you have these exosomes that form inside. And then those exosomes that now have RNA material give birth. And this is what you see under the microscope. You see all these little things kind of shooting out of cell membranes, amongst other things. And then they are like little messengers. They transmit information. One of the things they'll do is uh, stimulate the production of different interleukins, which are the body's chemical messengers, you know, like your growth stimulating factor for, you know, fibroblasts and insulin, and, you know, IGF, all these things. So, and then those things will then stimulate in turn stem cell production and all the rejuvenative healing mechanisms of the body in order to keep us well, youthful, 
and maybe combating some kind of exposure or, or deterioration in our system somehow. And the other thing these viruses will do, and uh, you know, understand that when you see a picture of a virus, it's a CGI mock-up. It's really not a real picture. And then what we're seeing, you know, the, you know, people say, well, we can see these with electron light microscopy. Not, not really. It's based on a theoretical linkage of a certain strand of DNA that we say is, you know, proves it's a theory and it proves allegedly the existence of another theoretical creature called a virus. So it's all, again, theory on top of theory and more theory. But when you see these with your own eyes and how the cells actually create these and now verified with more recent mainstream medical research uh, in the stem cell work, uh, these guys are actually a healing mechanism of the body. And also it will stimulate the cells to secrete certain surfactants and things that are like solvents that clean out uh, you know, body systems. Uh, they can actually make you feel bad because, you know, when I do bioterrain medicine and you get somebody in that doesn't have much time and there's a sense of urgency, in, under normal conditions, you want to just slow your roll a little bit because when you're cleaning the body, you don't want to overwhelm uh, the body and make it upchuck too much at once because if a body's in a weakened state, it can actually, you know, be dangerous. So you have to understand that you want to pace yourself a little bit, but sometimes you don't have that luxury of time. We have ways to overcome that. But um, we tell people if they start having symptoms, well, you're not feeling symptoms from the therapy. Your symptoms are actually uh, what you're feeling coming out of your body that was already in there, but we're just getting it to the surface and now you're feeling the consequences of it. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, what symptoms come from. And that's also why we get symptoms when say strep throat again, it's not only creating certain swellings and fevers and things on purpose to help you clean house, but we're also feeling the consequences of a lot of the, the things that it's cleaning out on our behalf. So virus are one of the mechanisms that help that. And when I do another set of labs I do called ionization analysis, one of the main things I look at is cell debris. Uh, and, and these are things that I can just extrapolate from functional medicine based on what I see. And then when I manage the terrain and do seeing things, and then the labs change, and what I see under the microscope changes, you know, that would suggest a cleaner ecology, then I also notice a high correlation of people getting better from symptoms, or from whatever their diagnosis was. So on a functional level, I just, you know, have to take an educated guess, but as a clinician, you don't really care if the some institution hasn't done definitive research in their uh, manner that they do things because the people that, you know, I would see over the years didn't have long in their bodies. So you just found out what works and maybe these kinds of explanations won't stand the scrutiny of the way they look at things, 
but you can't argue with the fact that it works. <laughs> and also, and just like being a farmer, things grow or they don't. And then also keep in mind, I travel in circles with other doctors worldwide that do the same thing. And we, you know, put our heads together and we say, yeah, I'm experiencing the same thing. So there's got to be something to it. It's just that a lot of the deprogramming we need to do is that we came from a very like rigid, materialistic, reductionistic way of thinking. And what you're talking about is a lot more like gardening than what we're used to thinking about reducing everything to like one thing that we should go to war with. And I think that's what I used to always struggle with in Chinese medicine school is that we would go to Chinese medicine class and we would be demanded to think so like circularly and multi-dimensionally and kind of everything is interrelated to everything else if you tweak this one thing there's a whole cascade of effects that we have to start to see the herbal medicine formulations always look at okay this is the main thing you want to tweak but as you tweak this there's a cascade effect so the herbal formulation thinking has to think like 10 chess steps ahead of the game always right it's so yes. elegant and beautiful but also it's crazy making from the old version of medicine where we're just thinking of one single simple black and white answer and then i was switched to our western medicine classes and it was everything was black and white and it was like i had multiple personality disorder in school because i couldn't hold that both of these realities are the same and i'm so grateful to chat with you where you're starting to use a western mind and kind of like morph it back into that holistic mind again well, the medical diagnosis of fragmented thinking is schizophrenia, and that's how we're taught to think. Okay, so what do you think, back to my question, what do you think about this social distancing? I don't see the need for it. You know, we have a permaculture guild here, and, you know, we're still having our regular work parties where we, you know, uh, once a week go to each other's farms and, you know, 20 people at a time and all work together to help each other out. and. Uh, nobody's wearing masks. Uh, we're healthy because we're outside. And, you know, earlier on, just to finish answering your question, the, the, the way to keep yourself healthy is to, number one, stay out of a state of fear because that creates uh, more problems in our internal ecology than anything else. And you want to be outside. You want to have human interaction. Uh, where we aren't afraid of each other or hating on each other because maybe somebody has a different belief system. Uh, I live very remote off-grid, but occasionally I go into town for supplies. And up here, it's, it's not like being in the city. There's not near as many people that buy into it. There's just people think a little bit differently in the country, I think, because it's just a different animal. Uh, you know, it's just the way it is. Uh, but, you know, you see a few people these days with um, masks on and, and I respect that. You know, I have a different belief system, but I'm not going to walk up and give them a hug or get in their face about, you know, oh, that's dumb or anything. So I think you know, the best thing we can do is just respect each other. Somebody wants their space, fine. But in my opinion, I see no need for it on a real grounded level of microbiology and there's no way that I'm going to touch a doorknob, uh, you know, and have 
you know, a dead thing that they call a virus somehow, you know, okay, I'm going to touch my face and it's going to, I mean, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. And a lot of the precautions that people are taking, let's just make believe there are viruses the way they say. There are, there are things that I understand. It doesn't matter if you call the virus or whatever. I've given a different explanation. So there are real things. We're not pretending that nothing exists. On the other hand, they just, if you understand those, whether it's my understanding or their understanding of virus, they can't spread the way they say. And even top doctors with the CDC are coming out and saying, well, you know, maybe not so much. But there's a different agenda afoot. And, you know, that's, uh, we don't even need to get into that. So, no, I don't see any reason for it. And the fear we can get into other levels of how our body works and outpictures every thought and emotion we have. And, and that's the most dangerous thing uh, that we have to overcome. And it's fear based on ignorance. And ignorance is the real contagion. Mic drop moment right there. Can you talk more about early in our conversation about the electrical forces at work? Can we go into that root cause level of this is more like a, a fundamental lesson in human physiology is what is at the root cause level of you're talking about electrical forces with the microbes and information downloads. I feel like we should channel the conversation in that direction. Okay. I'm going to really need your help here because it gets, it's, it's not difficult to understand, but trying to paint a cohesive picture in a few minutes is very difficult. So I'll put some concepts out and I'll also mention a gentleman by the name of Walter Russell, who was the best of many brilliant minds who taught the same thing, but he actually not only um, created a whole taxonomy of how electrical forces are the basis of our reality, but he also proved them. And he also, within his credentials, was the guy that first identified transuranium elements and things that the mainstream scientists of his day later stole from him without giving him credit. So he verified that he was the real deal. Now, Walter Russell was a missing link because I had strong intuitive hunches about how things work, but I was always trying to decipher them through my, you know, metaphors from other cultures that I didn't grow up in, you know, from Asia and India. And then I got on a certain level what they're talking about, but it still had to be metaphoric where when Walter Russell, you know, and I understood what he was talking about, it turned into real physics and then explained to me what all those other cultural metaphors were really talking about. And of course, those people thousands of years ago from those cultures knew the exact same truth, but they just expressed them in different ways. So what Walter Russell did most important is he gave us the other side of the equation I was alluding to. And he was probably the first bona fide scientist that proved the existence of a creator. 
you can call it whatever you like. You can call prana, chi, God, the spirit that moves through all things. Uh, it, it doesn't matter. We're all talking about a universal intelligence that has created a blueprint. And that blueprint is, comes from idea. Idea is stillness. There, there's really no thing in the universe that we think of as physical. It's just pure stillness. But when idea has an intention in our reality, it would be like a, a passion or an emotion to give the intensity to a thought to make it pop in the simulation, so to speak. Uh, that gives birth to an electrical force which polarizes. And that's what we call in Chinese medicine, yin and yang. Now, just like when you pluck a guitar string, it's still, but then you disturb it. And then you have a polarity that happens and the vibration between the two forces create what we think of as sound. And those electrical forces are waveforms, if you want to get into the way I think about things in physics and the way I measure waveforms coming from DNA in a body to make strategic clinical decisions. So those waveforms are actually a product of universal consciousness. When you go out to nature, there are prevailing patterns. It's like the universal canvas. And those of us that start to catch on, we look at those patterns. We notice the cyclic nature and the things we're talking about and, you know, whether we're talking about microbes and so forth. Walter Russell even explained how the periodic table of elements uh, just like um, a bacteria is a product of another little, you know, cycle within a, a larger cycle of, of a different seed that goes through all these, uh, you know, cycles. Elements in the ground are the same thing. Uh, if you wait around long enough or, or understand even how to speed up the process, which you can do, uh, all the different things from hydrogen to carbon to aluminum to, you know, all the way up and down the chain, they're electrical vectors that are specifically give characteristics to what we associate with those elements that create our, our so-called physicality. But they will go through cyclic changes and with time, one becomes the other and full circle back again. So that's the way nature works. And if you observe nature, you can see these universal patterns and then you can conduct your own thought patterns and your own emotions in a harmonious way that will, you know, we're all giving uh, uh, the ability to have a, our say in a little individual coordinate in consciousness. It's not a place. It's not a time. It's a coordinate in consciousness. And we get to practice in our little territory in the universe there. And if we mimic those forces then and create co-create in the same way then we have wonderful experiences in our body and our relationships and our finances and our world at large would actually experience peace hey guys i know you're excited to dive even deeper but this conversation was so rich so interesting so fascinating we had to break it up into two parts so we'll be back with more of dr lando's wisdom next week. See you then. Hi friends. Did you love that interview? If you did, please leave a review and share with all your friends so that many more people can benefit from these game-changing insights. You can also go onto our website, dredithubuntu.com, and subscribe to our newsletter, 
where you'll receive free trainings and next-level ninja tools that we only share on our newsletter. Together, let's turn your life into a brilliant masterpiece.